Hi, I'm Mona Lewis, the sports director of WSU, and I want to personally welcome you to X's and Opinions. Sit back and listen as some of WSU's sportscasters break down some of the major headlines over the past week of professional sports. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WSU Sports for more content. And rate this podcast and subscribe if you enjoy. Now, let's get started, shall we? Welcome back to another episode of X's and Opinions. I'm your host for this week, Ryan Johnston, and I'm joined by the lovely analysts of Jimmy Bliss and Joe Matthews. How are you guys doing today? Doing great today, Ryan. I'm excited to talk some sports. We got some good things lined up today, don't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we do. How about you, Joe? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to get going. There's been a lot of good stuff lately to talk about, so I'm excited to do some analysis. All right, that's good. Well, let's jump right into it. I want to I want to get started fast talking about one of the formerly hottest teams in the NFL in the Steelers. They started off 11 and 0, but they've lost two weeks straight and I just want to know what you guys think. Are they for real? Are they pretenders or are they contenders? So, I'll start off with this one. So, the Steelers, as we know, all started off 11 and 0. Everyone thought they were the next big thing, but as of right now, they're 100% pretenders. They are not going to do a single thing in these playoffs. I could see them going one and done, getting upset by any of the three wildcard teams that we have newly into this 2020 postseason. So let's take a look at their schedule to 11 wins so far. So they beat the Giants, the Broncos, Texans, Eagles, Browns, Titans, Ravens, Cowboys, Bengals, Jags, and the Ravens once again. So out of those 11 wins, I just want to look at them and – just acknowledge that three of them are legit. So they beat the Titans, who are a good team. They're a playoff team. They're going to be a three or four seed in the AFC. So that's a good win. A few calls went their game in that, uh, went their way in that game. But nonetheless, they still won that game. The Browns are a good team. We all know that. They're going to be a five or six seed. So that's another legit win. The Ravens, the first time around with Lamar, that's another legit win. I do think that the Ravens are going to make the postseason. But you look at the other teams that they've beaten. They're all at the bottom of their division, bottom of the conferences. They're all top 10 NFL draft material. Like, thinking like the Broncos, the Giants, the Bengals, the Jaguars. Do you think these teams are anything to write home about beating? Like, the Jags are getting their doors kicked in by the Ravens right now. And the Ravens aren't even a postseason team as of this moment. If we take a look at their run game, they're averaging only 89 rushing yards per game, which is the second worst in the entire NFL only in front of Houston. The Jets have more rushing yards than you. The Jets. I'm a Jets fan. We average 14 yards more per game than you do. What does that say about you as a franchise? All it says is that it shows you rely on Big Ben way too much, who I love the guy, but when he's – you can't have him throw the ball 55 times a game like you've been doing. And your wide receivers, like they have talent, but when they're more focused on recording TikToks than getting in the end zone, I don't know what to say to you. Like – in the entire month of November, this is not even made up. This is a legit stat. Juju uploaded more TikToks in November, nine, than he has scored touchdowns this entire season, which is seven. So if you're more focused on your social media clout, if you're just trying to get more followers, more likes, more stuff like that, I can't take you seriously. You just are not a contender in my eyes. If you don't have a run game, you've beaten three good teams The best team you played was the Bills, who destroyed you 26-15. And the score did not reflect how the game won at all. The Bills could have won that game by 20, 25 points. So I just don't think the Steelers are for real at all. I think they're a one-and-done team. I think that this time next month, 
they're going to be sitting at home, feet up on the couch, watching the rest of the AFC playoff picture play out? I think I kind of – I don't think the complete opposite. I'm not going to say they're contenders and they're going to be a favorite and that I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. But I think that there's a bit of recency bias going around around the NFL and the fans now based on the fact that they just dropped two straight games. They're still a really good team, I think. The Steelers, they still have, I think, the best defense probably in the entire NFL. And the offense is struggling, but I think they've got time to turn that around. Even They've got three games left in the season. You've got Mike Tomlin, who's one of – the best head coaches in the entire NFL. And the talent that they have on that offense, Big Ben, they've got Juju, who, while he's been underwhelming, I think he's still really talented and can really contribute to a winning team. You've got guys like Chase Claypool, who's a really promising rookie. You've got Deontay Johnson, who, even though he tends to drop the ball every other time he gets targeted, he's still an effective receiver. And you've got James Conner, who is a pretty above average back, I think. I think the key for them is to sort of unlock James Conner. If they can start running the ball more, like Jimmy said, their, real, their rushing stats really aren't anything to, you know, look at and be impressed by. But if they can start opening up the run game more, that's going to in turn, that's going to help the passing game. That's going to make the secondary ease up. They're gonna, teams are going to start stacking the box more to try to stop James Conner. Big Ben's going to be able to unleash that deep ball a little more. I think they're going to be able to figure it out. I don't think they're going to be the team that we thought they were in the beginning of the year where they're an 11-0, undefeated team, best team in the AFC. But I think they're going to be one of the only teams who can really hang with like a team like the Chiefs who really, when it comes down to it, the Chiefs are the overall best team in the AFC. And I really don't think any team's going to be able to take them down. But I think the, Steel- I think the Steelers still deserve to be in that conversation with teams like the Bills, because, I mean, if you look at the two losses that they had, they lost to a Washington team who at the time was red hot coming off of a huge Thanksgiving Day victory against the Cowboys. And the Steelers were on a short week that week because of all the COVID mishap that happened with the Ravens game. And they dropped a close game in that against another team that had a really good defense. And then they lost to the Bills, which I think I feel like Heading into that game, or at least looking at the Steelers' schedule for the rest of the season, that was kind of the game that everybody thought that the Steelers were going to lose. Like, that was going to be the game that was going to knock them off of being that undefeated team. Because the Bills are also a really good team, and I don't think you can really punish a team for losing to a Bills, who you saw on Saturday night, they completely throttled the Broncos, and Josh Allen's playing like almost an MVP candidate. I mean, I, don't really, I really don't think you can knock them for losing that game. They didn't look too great in that game, but I think it's almost it almost could be used as a good thing because they lost two straight. They're struggling. You've got Mike Tomlin, who's one of the fiercest head coaches in the league. I think this is going to light a fire under them, and they're going to realize, okay, we're not playing the way we really should be playing. We're not playing like the 11-0 team that we were earlier in the year. So let's turn things around. And I think you're going to be able to see their last three games, the Bengals, the Colts, and the Browns, I think they can easily beat all three of them. The Browns will probably be the toughest game, but I think you're going to see the Steelers really make a turnaround and start ramping back up their play. Yeah, you know, you guys both make great points. Um, I'm a little more on the side of Jimmy, though. I don't think they they haven't really played 
a whole lot of good teams. You know, they played the Ravens and uh, they lost. They beat them twice, but they then they lost to the Bills and uh, they beat the Titans and the Browns. But other than that, it's it's been a pretty weak schedule for them. And I think these last couple of weeks are really going to show what they're made of. You know, with the you said that they're playing the Colts and the Browns again. Like that's that's two really solid playoff teams right now. Uh, I think both of them are nine and four. So I think that these last two weeks could really make or break the season for the Steelers. But uh, moving on to another team who's at the top of the league right now, the Packers. I mean, they're, they're having a great year. They're at the top of the NFC right now at 11-3. and three. They just had a big win this weekend. And, I mean, we've been talking about them for a while, years. They've been a good team. They've always been at, right at the top, but they've never quite reached the Super Bowl since that last, I think, 2010 Super Bowl that they won uh, against the Steelers. So is this their year? Can they, can they win it? I guess I'll take this one first. I think, I think this is the year for them. I think going aside from things like stats and stuff like that, if you look at it from purely narrative street, heading into the season, there was all the outrage that the Packers, they drafted Jordan Love in the first round when you have Aaron Rodgers already there. They desperately needed another offensive weapon, and in a draft that was loaded with wide receiver talent, the front office didn't go out and get anybody. And so you can almost look at it as this is just Aaron Rodgers turning to the front office and saying, okay, you don't want to help me? I'll just do it myself. And, I mean, he's played ridiculous this year. I think – Barring a late-season surge from someone like Pat Mahomes or maybe even an outside shot Josh Allen, I think Rodgers is going to have the MVP locked up. I mean, he's playing at, at such a high level. I mean, he's got 40 touchdowns on the year. He's, every, every time the Packers touch the ball when they have the ball on offense, you expect that they're going to go down and score. They've got such good talent. They've got Aaron Jones. They've got Devontae Adams, who this year has proven that he's one of those top three elite wide receivers in the league. I think everything's just clicking for the Packers this year. I mean, the only real weakness they've had is their run D. They've given up a lot of rushing yards to teams, I know, but I think you're never going to find one team that's completely perfect and has absolutely no holes. And I think just Aaron Rodgers is going to put this team on his back, and he's going to just – will them into the playoffs. Well, he did will them into the playoffs already. He's just going to will them to a long playoff run. And I think this could be the year that I think they're definitely the favorites in the NFC to go to the Super Bowl. And, I mean, once you're there, it's one game. Anything can happen. This could be the year that Rodgers gets the second ring. Yeah, I agree with you, Joe. I think that this is the Packers' year. If there is going to be a year with Rodgers as the quarterback, this is definitely the one. So, right now, if we just take a look at his stats – like you said, he's knocking on the door of his third MVP. He has 40 touchdowns and four interceptions right now. He's got a 10 to one touchdown to interception ratio. And then he also has a 118 passer rating, which is the best in the NFL. He's six points ahead of Patrick Mahomes, which is the second place MVP candidate right now as we record this. He has Devontae Adams, who's a top three receiver in the NFL. I'd argue he's the best route runner in the entire NFL. The way that he can just shrug defenders off him like they're not even there is just second to none you have Aaron Jones who's a great running back he's a top 10 running back arguably a top five running back the way that he's performing this season he's just an animal he knows how to get to the end zone whether it's catching the ball 
running the ball. He just knows where the end zone is, and he can just power over these defensive backs, these linebackers. He just has a will to get into the end zone. Another thing, the Packers looked a little bit stale in the middle part of the season. They lost to the Vikings. They didn't look great a few games around there. That was because Alan Lazard was out for those games. Now that he's back, their offense is really taking another step forward because Aaron Rodgers really trusts Alan Lazard. When, when Lazard was out, he had Devontae Adams. He was throwing it to Robert Tanyan, who what's he been doing right now? We, we haven't seen him do anything in a few weeks. We had uh, Equinemia St. Brown, who Aaron Rodgers isn't really a big fan of. And uh, now that Alan Lazard's back, he has a second option that he can actually trust because – we saw his feud with uh, Valdez Scantling, how he's kind of rolling his eyes every time he throws the ball to him. He doesn't really trust him. He'll drop the ball every now and then. We saw in that Colts game, Valdez Scantling, he fumbled that ball, and we saw immediately what Rodgers' reaction was. He was rolling his eyes. He just like, did his chin strap, just unbuckled that in a very condescending way. So now that he has Lozard, he has someone else that he can trust. And they also have a pretty good defense as well. They got the Smith brothers and Preston Smith, Darius Smith, who – they came over last offseason, and they've both been very good coming from Washington and Baltimore, respectively. They've both been very good at rushing the passer, stopping the run. So I do think that this is a very complete team. I think that they are the cream of the crop of the NFC. If they are going to make a run at the Super Bowl, this has to be the year because Rodgers isn't getting any old. He's not getting any younger. He's 36 right now, and we usually see quarterbacks – they drop off a cliff by the time that they're 36, 37, 38. So if, and if they want to win a Super Bowl with Rodgers, their second Super Bowl with Rodgers, it's going to have to be this year or else they're going to be ruining their entire Aaron Rodgers career because he's only won one ring as arguably the most talented quarterback of all time. But he's got all the pieces in store as well as a pretty good head coach to make a run at the Super Bowl and to get – the Lombardi Trophy back to Wisconsin. Yeah, I got to say, I agree with both of you right here. I mean, I think a big part of it is that they actually have a half-decent defense this year, too. I mean, for, for years, Aaron Rodgers has been plagued by his team's defensive struggles, and this year they, they actually can get a stop for him. And um, with the offensive weapons that he has around him, I don't see why they can't. And I think the NFC is – a bit weaker than it's been in previous years. I mean, we've seen – we saw Russell Wilson have a great start to the season, but he's kind of fallen off since then. And I think their biggest competition right now is the Chiefs – not the Chiefs, sorry, the Saints. And um, as long as they can get by them, I don't see why they can't uh, make it to the Super Bowl and possibly win. But um, moving forward to uh, a division that's had a little bit more struggles this year than the two previous teams, uh, the NFC East or the NFC Least – as I like to call them. And um, Joe, your Washington football team, they're, they're at the top right now. And I'm wondering, do you guys think that they pretty much got it wrapped up? They have a better record than both the Giants and the Eagles who are, who are at their tail. Uh, is it still a competition for the playoff spot or has the football team got it wrapped up? I'm not going to say we've got it wrapped up just yet. I think it could still be easily grabbed by the team like the Giants or the Eagles even, I think. I do think that as it stands right now, Washington's got the best chance and the best path to take the division because we're already a game up on the Giants. We're playing the Seahawks this week, which, I mean, 
that's going to be a tough game to win no matter what. And they are pretty much getting the doors blown off them right now. But after that, there's the Panthers, which is somewhat of a winnable game, I think. And then the Eagles in Week 17, who it's NFC East versus NFC East. Literally anything can happen, but all the teams are kind of terrible there. And the Giants, they've got a really tough schedule, I think. And I think as a Washington fan, I'm more concerned about the Eagles actually coming and taking the division than I am about the Giants. Because the Giants have the Browns and the Ravens, who are two – well, the Browns are a playoff team. The Ravens are kind of on the cusp, but the way they've been playing recently, they've been playing like a playoff team. I think the Browns are going to – or I think the Giants are going to take two losses in the next upcoming weeks, barring a miracle upset like they pull off against Seattle. And then they've got the Cowboys week 17, which they can easily win that game. But I think with the two losses in the next upcoming weeks, if that happens, it's really going to write them out. But the Eagles, they've got the Cardinals, which the Cardinals haven't looked too impressive as of late, and they could easily take that game. And then Cowboys in Washington to finish out the season. And I think the big thing for the Eagles is that they finally made the right decision to switch to Jalen Hurts. And I mean, Carson Wentz was just absolutely terrible this season. And now they've got someone in Jalen Hurts who, I mean, he's still a rookie. He's still kind of unproven. But the way he played against the Saints, he actually looked really impressive. And then he's a young guy. You look at guys like Lamar Jackson, how even though in, in, early in his career, he was able to really light the league on fire because with young guys, you don't always have a lot of tape on them and a lot of information on how to sort of stop them. So someone like Jalen Hurts, where this is going to be his first four career games this last stretch of the season, teams aren't really going to have a lot of tape on him and figure out, you know, what can we do to sort of figure this guy out and shut him down? And so I think if Jalen Hurts can really capitalize on that and play like a true franchise quarterback, I think he could lead the Eagles to at least two wins in their last three games. And so that's what I'm concerned. I feel like it could come down to week 17, that Washington versus Eagles game is going to be the determining factor for who wins it. It's going to be Washington versus Eagles. Whoever wins takes the division, goes to the playoffs. Um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I really don't think it's that impressive. I mean, even if as a Washington fan, if we take the division, it's, this is like a historically awful division. We do look really promising. I think the defense this year has been absolutely lights out. The offense is, oof, it's rough. I mean, Alex Smith looked okay when he was at the helm, but with him hurt now, we've got to switch to Dwayne Haskins and Haskins, I just don't think is going to be the answer. I think his time in Washington's done, but I think what this year showed, even though a lot of the teams in the NFC East were bad this year is that they're, is a future for a couple of these teams. The Eagles, if Jalen Hurts keeps playing well, that's a team who only a couple of years ago were in the Super Bowl. They could bounce right back to being a perennial playoff team if they get strong QB play again. And Washington, I mean, they've got a really, really strong defense. I think they're only a couple of pieces away. They can get a safety and a good linebacker. I mean, I think that's really a, almost a Super Bowl-level defense. And then they've just got to figure out something on offense to have a passable offense. And they could be a contender in division for the next couple of years too. So, I mean, even though it's been a rough year, I think it's, there's a bright future in the NFC East for a lot of these teams. Yeah. So I agree somewhat with what you just said, Joe. So I do think Washington has pretty much locked up the NFC East. I think that there's no turning back for them now. They have a one game lead. 
And I mean, the rest of the NFC East is so dysfunctional that I don't think that they're going to be able to make up all this ground that they have put themselves behind. I see the Giants are one game back, but Daniel Jones is injured. They have Colt McCoy coming in. I mean, Colt McCoy did upset Seattle, so I won't say anything right now, but I don't think that Colt McCoy is going to make up this one game cushion that you have. I don't think he's going to beat Cleveland tonight. I don't think that he is going to spur the Giants to victory in the NFC East. I look at the Eagles, and what a fall from grace they've had. You've mentioned it. They went to the Super Bowl. They won it in the 2017 season right after that. And ever since then, they've just been kind of like treading water, trying to remain relevant in the NFL. But this year, everything's just come crashing down. I mean, we saw the cracks last year with everyone kind of coming down to earth. We saw the defense not showing up well. We saw the weapons that Carson Wentz had. They all kind of fell apart. And even the ones that were healthy, no one played up to their standard. Then you look at the Cowboys. The Cowboys, after losing Dak Prescott, have not been the same at all. I like Andy Dalton, but he's not a franchise quarterback in this NFL anymore. Ten years ago he was, but he's not the same player anymore. The NFL is shining to more of a gunslinger offense, and he's not really what the NFL needs. And the Cowboys defense is just so bad that they, they can't just stop a nosebleed. Like, you could put up Alabama against the Dallas Cowboys defense, and I'm pretty sure Alabama would drop 55 points on that Cowboys defense. It's just so bad to watch. So – as far as the Washington football team goes, they have Ron Rivera, who's the best coach in the division, in my opinion. I don't think it's even close. I mean, Doug Peterson had his run with the Eagles, and that was sensational and all, but he's really come crashing down to earth like the rest of the Eagles have. He's not really shown his ability to coach, especially in big games with the Eagles. Mike McCarthy, that's just been a disaster in Dallas all year long. Sounds like he's coming back next year, which is a good – thing if you're a Washington football team fan so this way you can get more wins over the Cowboys and then Joe Judge I mean the jury's still out on him we don't really know what's to come with him he looks like he is a formidable coach but we've seen crazier things happen where a coach has looked promising in their first year it's all come crashing down their second year and they're out the door so I think Ron Rivera is a very good coach he was a very smart hire so I think that he is in a good situation as well as the Washington football team with having him. You have the best defense in the division as well. It's not even close. The Cowboys defense can't stop a nosebleed. The Eagles defense gets worse every week. And the Giants defense has maybe two good players that would start on other defenses around the league. So that is another reason why Washington has it pretty much locked up. As for their playoff run, I think that they could possibly win a game in the playoffs if given the right opponent. Now, so they're going to be the four seed, obviously, because they're not going to be able to contend with the other division leaders just because they're going to be right around 500 if, and if they do hit 500 as a whole. So I look at some of the matchups they could play, and honestly, if they play the Rams, I could really see them taking down the Rams. They match up very well, I think, against them with their stout defense, they have a good offensive line, the Rams are more of a finesse team, and Ron Rivera just destroys finesse teams. We've seen it in Carolina. We're seeing it this year. He just he looks at finesse teams, and he just like tears the heart out of them. This is pass rush with the D-line. He, he just knows how to tear them apart. This, the Rams, when Jared Goff, his 
his pocket presence might be the worst in the entire NFL. I see him, the pocket collapses around him and he does not even move an inch. Like he could easily step up and get to space, but he just doesn't. And he just looks around and gets sacked and strip sacked. So I could see Chase Young and the rest of the D-line having a field day against the Rams. I could truly see the Washington football team winning that game, especially if Alex Smith is healthy down the stretch. He's brought so much stability to that offense that I think that if Washington does go on and win the NFC East and they do play the Rams, I think that they'll take them down. But that's as far as the season's going for Washington. Got to say, Jimmy, I love the Eagle slander. I'm completely with the Eagle slander. But I think for for the football team, uh, I think a big part of it hinges on um, their quarterback situation. And um, say Alex Smith is injured right now, and I think he's slated to come back next week. But um, we've seen him come back from far worse, obviously, with that horrific leg injury that he had. But um, it really just comes back if if he comes back and he's in form. If he's in form, I, I think they've definitely got it clinched up because they've been playing so well when he was uh, at the helm and playing well for them. They just won four straight, obviously. And, yeah, they they just look unstoppable at times beating the Steelers. But um, I think it, it depends on that uh, a huge amount. And looking forward a little bit into the playoffs, um, you know, this season has created some really tight races for spots in the playoffs. And are there any teams in the NFC or the AFC that are currently on the outside looking in, but you could really see stealing a spot from a team right now? Yeah, so I'll start with this one. So right now, anyone that's on the outside looking in that's going to make the playoffs, I believe the Ravens are going to do that. So right now the Ravens are the eight seed in the AFC, sitting at eight and five. So they're tied on record with Miami. And they have three very winnable games upcoming. So today they're taking on the Jags, which I'm pretty sure is all wrapped up by the time that we're recording this right now. They play the Giants next week, which I don't think will be too much of a speed bump. And they play the Bengals in Week 17, which without Joe Burrow, they've looked completely lifeless. They also have the reigning NFL MVP from last year. Although he's not playing up to his MVP standards of a year ago, he's still a fantastic quarterback. He's still one of the best players in the entire NFL. He does something that the defense can't even game plan for because he's just 100 miles per hour, 60 minutes a game. You just never expect what Lamar Jackson is about to put you through. We saw it on Monday night against the Browns. He came out of the locker room, whatever he was experiencing. He came out of the locker room. He brought the Ravens back to win that football game. And I'm sure the Browns would be the first to tell you that they were not expecting to see Lamar Jackson come out of the locker room, lead them to a win after the Browns battled back in that game to take the lead. They have an improving defense as well, apart from last week. Last week was a disaster with everything that was going on. They have a few COVID concerns, but now it looks like everyone's getting back. So their defense is getting better. Marcus Peters will be back soon as well. So their defense will not be an issue moving forward. And going back to Miami, who is also tied at an 8-5 and five record, I expect them to drop either a game or two upcoming because today they're playing the Patriots next week they got the Raiders and week 17 they have the Bills so those are three games that could go either way of course the Patriots are not as good as the Dolphins are but it's Bill Belichick so you can never write him off you have the Raiders again John Gruden fantastic football coach you can never write him off we saw what he did with Marcus Mariota who was a bust just a few years ago in the draft 
almost taking down the Chargers, looking like a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. Then you have the Bills, who are obviously the best team in the AFC East. They are right now the three seed in the AFC. So if I had to pick a team right now to make the playoffs that's on the outside looking in, it would 100% be the Baltimore Ravens. I definitely agree with Jamie. I think the Ravens have the best shot of any team that's outside the picture right now. I mean, Lamar Jackson has not completely returned to form, but he's looked a lot better in recent, in recent games than he did in the early season. And the Ravens have just been playing lights out. I mean, they dropped over 40 points on the Browns defense last week. At the time of recording this, they've hung 40 on the Jaguars. I think they're going to be able to make a run and sneak into the playoffs, especially because the, the Dolphins, who are the seventh seed right now, they've got a tough schedule coming up. But for the sake of trying to find another team, there's one team in the NFC, actually, that I find that I'm in the minority, but I am somewhat of a believer in them, which is the Chicago Bears. And now they're six and seven. They're a game out of the seventh seed in the West, which is currently held by the Cardinals. But the big thing with them is that this is, again, a, a take that I'm in the minority on, but I'm still a believer in Mitch Trubisky. I still think that he's got some talent. He's not going to be a number two overall pick kind of, kind of guy. He's not going to be a Deshaun Watson or Pat Mahomes of that draft, where he's going to be a superstar quarterback. But I think he still can be good enough to lead a winning team. He did it, what, two years ago when the Bears went to the playoffs when they had that really strong defense. It wasn't because of Trubisky that they went to the playoffs, but he played good enough to – hang with that great defense they had to get them into the playoffs. I mean, you look at the games he's had so far since taking over the starting role in week 12 this year against the Packers, 242 yards, three touchdowns. He did throw two picks. But then against the Lions, he throws for 267 yards and a touchdown, no picks. And then against the Texans, he threw for, again, 267 yards, oddly enough, three touchdowns, no picks. And so far today at the time of recording this against the Vikings, he's thrown for 160 yards, a touchdown, no picks. I think if he can continue playing that solid quarterback play, because that's what's been the Achilles heel for the Bears in recent years. They've always had a pretty strong defense. They used to have an elite defense, one of the best in the leagues, but it's not that level now, but it's still a really solid defense. But their offense has always been what's held them back. They've never had an offense that's been able to win them games when it matters most, that when their defense lets up, their offense can make up for that. And in the recent games, I mean, if Mitch Trubisky can keep playing like that, if they can keep winning, they've got the Bears or nothing. They've got the Jaguars next week, which I think they can already pencil in a W there because the Jaguars just look awful. And then week 17, they've got a really tough matchup against the Packers. But I think, I don't know, they could go on a run, I think. If they can win out by some miracle and beat the Packers in Week 17, I think they could sneak into the playoffs. And I think Trubisky might change some people's opinions on him. If he gets there on the big stage in the playoffs and delivers a solid performance, he might be able to erase that bus status that everybody gave him. You know, I, I love the hot take about the Bears. I'm not, I'm not too sure I agree 100% on Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, I think he's... I think he's overstayed his welcome a little bit in in uh, the the minds of NFL fans, but um, you know I think we also reach a, a consensus on the Ravens. They've got a great chance at the playoffs. 
And um, at the time that we're recording this, um, the Bears are up on the Vikings, who are another team that could make the playoffs, uh, given the right circumstances. So, you know, uh, anything can happen. But we're going to take it way far in the future now, the Super Bowl. And um, I know it's only week 15, but, you know, we can really see various teams' identities start to to start to shape and take place. And uh, I just want to – I just want your – Way too early predictions on it. Who, who's winning it and who's making it? I guess I'll go first here. I think the popular take, and I think the – I don't want to say obvious because it's still obviously really early, but, I mean, this is kind of the Chiefs here, I think. They've looked next to unstoppable so far. I mean, they've lost one game, which was early in the season – against the Raiders, it was kind of just one of those, like, fluky, okay, we got that bad game out of our system kind of wins. And other than that game, there's been really nobody who's been able to almost even hang with them. Last week against the Dolphins, that was probably their closest game I think they've had that was the most concerning. If you think that they're going to be a team that's not as good as they actually are, that was Mahomes' worst game of the year so far. But even though it was his worst game of the year, he threw three picks, but he still threw for 400 yards and two touchdowns. The offense put up 33 points. The team still won the game. So I think that just speaks to how good the Chiefs are, that if they're a team that their quarterback can throw three picks in a game, turn the ball over three times in a game, and they can still put up 33 points and just take the game away from you. So I think there's really no team that can hang with them. I think in the AFC – They've really got no competition. I think it's going to be an easy walk to the Super Bowl for them. And then once they're there, I think on the NFC side, it's going to be one of either the Packers or maybe even the Saints. If Drew Brees comes back and is playing healthy and playing well. But I think even those two teams, I think the Chiefs are on just such another level from everybody else in the league right now that if, if they don't win the Super Bowl this year, it's going to be a big shock to me. Yes, I agree with you, Joe. I think that the Chiefs will be the Super Bowl champion this year. I just think that, like you said, they have so much offensive firepower. You have the best player in the world in Patrick Mahomes. You have one of the best receivers in Tyreek Hill. You have a top two tight end, Travis Kelsey. You have so much speed on the outside. You have Demarcus Robinson. You have uh, Mecole Hardman. You have Sammy Watkins as well. You even have Sherman, who's a fullback, who's a pretty good receiver as well. So they, he just has so much to work with around him. Looking on the defensive side, you have Clark and you have Matthew as well, who are two very good players, two very big leaders. So their defense has been shored up as well. Not only that, but going back to offense, they've rushed for over 111 yards per game, which is a very good balance. I know when you have Patrick Mahomes on your team, you're very tempted to throw the ball every single play because he's Patrick Mahomes. Come on. The good things happen when the ball's in his hands, but – to be a Super Bowl team, you need to have a good balance, which is what Andy Reid is trying to implement right now. Whether it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Le'Veon Bell, he's trying to get everyone involved on in the offensive side of the football, trying to get everyone to do the best of their ability so the defense has to respect the run game when the passing game is still cooking and vice versa. As for the NFC, I'm just going to say the Packers are going to be the NFC representative I just think that Rodgers is playing really well right now. They're going to have home field advantage against the Saints and what I believe will be the NFC title game. 
And when the Saints get outside of the Superdome, they are just a completely different team. They almost look shell-shocked. They can't play in cold weather to save their lives. It's honestly so so weird seeing them play on the road in the playoffs because they're absolutely nothing like they are in the regular season. They can barely complete passes. They can barely pick up first downs with their offense. Their defense is going to play fine because their defense is the strength of their team right now. But as far as the offense goes, the Saints offense in cold weather is always disappointing. And the AFC, the Chiefs, I think they're going to have, they're going to stumble a little bit, but they're still going to pick up wins over I think the Titans, I think the Titans are a very good team. Like last year, they went on a run, but they couldn't get to the Super Bowl itself. They have a very, very tough formula to beat. You have a huge dose of Derrick Henry, who is a complete refrigerator. Like, he, look at him. How are you going to tackle a six foot five or six foot four, 250 pound guy who's running straight at you, who runs a 4 4 40? Then you also have. Ryan Tanner, who's played like a pro bowler since leaving Adam Gaze, figure me that. Someone leaves Adam Gaze and they become a better player. Then you have uh, Corey Davis, who's a good deep threat. You have A.J. Brown, who's a number one wide receiver. Jonu Smith is a very good tight end, faster than your average tight end as well. So that's going to catch a lot of people by surprise. Their defense is very good, and they have a great coach in Mike Vrabel. But I don't think that they will take down the Chiefs. Similarly, the Bills are a very good team as well, but I don't think that they have the necessary firepower to hang with the Chiefs. They don't have the power running game that the Titans have, so they can't really control the time of possession. They also don't have the same offensive line caliber as the Titans, so they can't control the line of scrimmage like the Titans would. They just have to rely on Josh Allen's legs if they want to win a game against the Chiefs. And Josh Allen is a very, very good quarterback, as he's shown this year. He is a dark horse MVP candidate, which right now it doesn't look like he's going to win, but he has two more games, which he could possibly make a move and win that MVP award. Their defense is, again, very good. It's a little bit down from last year, but everyone's defenses are down from last year, so I don't really even look to that. But I do think that they would give the Chiefs a good game, but I just think the Chiefs' firepower everywhere Plus, you still have Andy Reid. You have Steve Spagnuolo calling plays on the defense. You have Eric Bieniemy as your offensive coordinator, which still boggles my mind how he's not a head coach in the NFL. These Chiefs are just the most unstoppable team I think I've ever seen in my life, and I would be very surprised to see them get upset in the AFC playoffs. And I would, I could definitely see them winning the Super Bowl against the Packers in Raymond James Stadium this year. Yeah, you know, I really love that point, that Jimmy, that you make about um, the weather in the, the Saints versus Packers matchup. I mean, in the Super Bowl, it's been like since 2003, only one traditional warm-weather team has won the Super Bowl, and that was the Saints when they won it in the Superdome. So it's it's just uh, the weather can be such a, a, a limiting factor to those warm-weather teams who aren't used to playing in the cold. And um, I'm going to have to agree with you guys on the Chiefs. I mean, they're just – their offensive firepower is just so ridiculous. I don't know how they signed Le'Veon Bell. I mean, that just seems like so unfair. It's like they're playing Madden out here. But um, we're gonna we're gonna pivot, if you will, over to basketball and the NBA. And um, I want you guys' thoughts about James Harden. He he didn't report to the Rockets' uh, training camp for the first couple of days. He recently reported to their preseason games. But um, instead of reporting to training camp, he was seen in Las Vegas and Atlanta, uh, specific, specifically partying with Lil Baby. 
And when pressed about it, he said that he was training with his personal trainers. So I want your guys' thoughts about it. He recently requested a trade from the Rockets. So, yeah. Yeah, so I'll start off with this one. So James Harden, as you just said, he's a disgruntled superstar. He obviously wants out of Houston after everything went downhill from last year's playoff exit to the Lakers. Ever since losing to the Warriors after getting that 3-2 lead in, what was that, 2017, 2018, with uh, Chris Paul when he got injured, it seems like everything's been going downhill for the Rockets. And this is definitely the year that James Harden should leave. Similar to AD last season, like before he got traded, everything was ugly. Everything was like the sky was falling in New Orleans. And there were reports coming out left and right about the Lakers trying to trade everyone to get him. He even wore a that's all shirt, a that's all folk shirt to his last game as a Pelican. So I think that James Harden's going to be doing a similar thing. He's going to be playing hardball. He doesn't look like he even cares about Houston anymore. I mean, he showed up to the preseason game and was like out of shape. He didn't even look like himself. I didn't even recognize him. I was like, how is that James Harden? But he will definitely get traded either during the beginning of the season or at the trade deadline. I do not see him lasting the entire season in Houston. Now, where will he go? I don't see Houston trading him within the conference because that would just be demoralizing to your team as you'd have to play James Harden a few more times. But I think he's going to go over to the East. He'll most likely go to a contender. Or if they're not a contender right now, they will be a contender when they do get James Harden, a top 10 player in the NBA. We've heard rumblings about the Nets, but I don't think the Nets, that's ever going to happen. I don't think that a KD, Kyrie, and James Harden team will ever work out. We've seen things about the Sixers, which I think would be a better fit for him, but we'll see what happens. The Celtics are always in on every superstar whenever they want out, so we'll see if they have anything to say. But I do think James Harden do, does need to get out of Houston to further his career if he ever does want to win a ring, or else he'll just be one of these guys that just shoots a bunch, scores a bunch, but never has anything to back it up to ever say that he is one of the true greats in the NBA. He's just a very talented scorer, which we don't have a lot of in the NBA, but he needs to win a ring to solidify his legacy. And I definitely see his future elsewhere, most likely in the East with one of Philadelphia, Boston, maybe even a Miami. I think that his time in Houston is done. What about you, Joe? I think Harden's as good as gone right now. I mean, it lines up with everything. All the reports that came out that he's demanding a trade. He wants out. He wanted there is the whole saga where he was going to Brooklyn. He wasn't going to accept anything other than being in that. Now they're saying, oh, well, maybe he'll go to the Sixers. I think there's just there's too many rumors for it to just to be sort of a smokescreen. And I mean, the Rockets have already committed to. I mean, started they've started blowing it up a little bit. They obviously traded Westbrook. They've they've sort of taken that first step to sort of getting rid of those superstar type players and committing to a full rebuild. And I really just don't think Harden wants to be there for that. They signed obviously a new coach, Steven Silas. And there was a report that came out that Steven Silas being hired is the, one of the reasons that James Harden wants to be out. And the fact that he just didn't show up the training camp, I think everything just makes too much sense. And I think the writing's on the wall that Harden's going to be gone. Like Jimmy said, at some point, whether it's, at the trade deadline, whether it's before the trade deadline. 
I, I think this is going to be Harden's last year in Houston. And I mean, as far as where he's going to go, I do agree. I don't think he's going to be a net, even though there are a lot of rumors about that, because the way the nets are constructed, they're already sort of, I really don't know if Harden would make them that much better than they already are because they already have two superstar players in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And then to complement them, they have a really solid supporting cast of good bench players, good depth, a team that without Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant was already a playoff team in the bubble last year. And so I think the, if the front office made the decision to sort of blow up that depth and trade away a bunch of pieces for Harden, it would kind of ruin how the sort of chemistry of the team is. And then also, obviously, there are reports that the Rockets didn't even want a package like that from the Nets. They wanted one of Kevin Durant or one of Kyrie Irving for James Harden. And I think at that point, it's really just a lateral move. And why even do it at that point? Because you've already invested so much money and time into recruiting Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. You've built your team around them. And to just swap out one of them for James Harden, I really don't think it makes that much sense. I think the Sixers were also another contender to trade for Harden. That would be really interesting, I think, especially if they trade Ben Simmons, which has been a rumor. Because I think that if you made that sort of swap where you sent out Ben Simmons, maybe a couple of picks, maybe a role player like Matisse Thibault for James Harden, I think that puts the Sixers up at the very top of the East with teams like the Bucks or the Nets. Because we've already seen the Sixers be a really solid team with Simmons and Embiid. But the fact that Simmons has trouble shooting, there's not a lot of spacing on that team. I think if you replace having Simmons run the point, for someone like James Harden, who's an elite Hall of Fame level scorer, pair him with Joel Embiid and the other pieces like they have now, like Seth Curry and Tobias Harris, I think that would be a really good move. And if I'm the Sixers GM, I'm offering every player I have on that roster that isn't Joel Embiid for James Harden to try to pair those two up. But I think no matter what happens, that Harden's definitely going to be gone. Yeah, you know, I think it's a really unfortunate situation how, how it's played out. I hate to see star players, um, I don't want to say quit on their teams, but, like, get disengaged with the front office and um, stop stop communicating with their team as much. And um, it's just – it's not a fun way for either party, I think. But I think you're definitely right. I, I think he's gone. And one team that I wouldn't be surprised if he went to was Miami, actually. Um, they, they've definitely been in some trade talks with them. And they've they've – got more than enough assets to do do a trade and if they want to make that next level leap as we saw this season they made the finals they couldn't quite beat the lakers um as they weren't wholly healthy for part of the series but um i think that james harden could really propel them up a step in the nba echelon but uh now let's move on to an equally polarizing player in kyrie irving um i know you guys have some some opinions some strong opinions about him but um, he, he was recently fined. He and the Brooklyn Nets organization were fined $25,000 each for skipping out on media day a couple weeks ago. And he was seen spreading sage around the, the Boston Celtics TD Garden before their preseason matchup uh, as a way to, I think, rid his former team of toxic energy or something like that. So I want to know what your guys' thoughts are on, uh, on the man himself. I guess I'll go first here, and 
I'll sort, of, I'll sort of put my bias out in front of me right now where I'm a huge Nets fan and I love Kyrie Irving. But I think even as someone who loves him and is a huge Nets homer, it's he, he's a character. He's definitely someone who is out there a bit. And there's just so many shenanigans that come with having Kyrie Irving on your team. The whole media, not speaking to the media thing, I get it because... I mean, he, his, his words always get twisted by the media. He's one of those guys that every writer, it almost just seems like they have it out for him. They'll take his words out of context. When he was with the Celtics, he got pinned with all the blame for how they collapsed towards the end of the season and then he left. And I'm not saying that he didn't have a role in that because I feel like he probably did. But, I mean, the media made it seem like it was only him and he was the only reason that they were bad. And without Kyrie Irving, the Celtics are going to be great. And the Celtics really weren't any much better without him last year. The fine that he got for not speaking to the media, I'm completely fine with that because, again, it's in his contract. He's got to do that. But, I mean, I, I just don't know because he's – it makes sense for him to do it because he's just such a polarizing figure. And even with what he did when he said that, oh, I'm not going to speak to the media on media day, those words that he, in the statement he sent out so that the media wouldn't be able to twist what he says, they still got twisted because there were reports coming out that, okay, well, Kyrie's not going to talk to the media for the entire season. He's just going to not do any interviews. And then he had to come out and make another statement through his PR person saying, no, this is just for media day, which in all honesty, media day is in the preseason is kind of just like worthless because it's just answering questions, you know, oh yeah, we're going to be a great team. Everybody added 15 pounds of muscle and got a jump shot this offseason. We're going to be the best team in the East, blah, 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 blah. And then I was actually watching the Mets media day, and some of the questions they asked, I don't know why Kyrie would want to ask that, because they asked, for example, Karis LeVert, who would be one of the trade pieces for a James Harden trade, as we discussed earlier. They straight up asked him, like, so what would be your thoughts if you got sent away for James Harden and got replaced by him? And he was kind of like, uh, I don't know. I'm, that didn't happen, so why are you asking me? So I don't know why Kyrie would want to deal with that. I don't know why any player would really want to deal with that, but especially Kyrie because he gets so much flack from the media. I understand where he's coming from. Should he have really gone to that length and put out that statement? And then he also did a thing on his social media where he called the media members pawns and stuff like that. That's taking it a little too far, I think. But at the end of the day, he hasn't really done anything yet, at least, that's been so catastrophically terrible where he's this huge villain and he's ruining team chemistry and he's acting like such a weirdo. Because I've said this actually before the, the show to you guys before we started recording. If Kyrie Irving is dropping 25 points per game and seven assists per game and leading the Nets to the playoffs, he can do whatever he wants off the court. He can... He can you know, spread sage around every square inch of Brooklyn. He can show up to the game wearing some crazy outfit. I really don't care. As long as he helps the Nets win games, which he should be able to, and as long as he's able to separate that sort of strangeness and quirkiness that he has from the locker room and from the team culture, I think it was, it's going to be fine. Yeah, I think that was perfectly said, Joe. Actually, everything that you just said yourself, I was going to say if you didn't say it. So, obviously, Kyrie Irving should be fine for everything, like saying he's not going to talk to the media. It's in his contract to talk to the media. So, just coming out and saying you're not going to talk to the media, obviously, 
that's a bad image for you to put out to not only the media itself, but to everyone back home. Also the front office, like you invested so much time, so much energy, so much money into this guy. And one of the first things he does in his first fully healthy season as a net is to come out and say that he's not going to talk to the media is not exactly want to hear, but it's whatever it's Kyrie Irving. It's what he does. He's kind of an odd person as it is. He, just like you said in Boston, I think that he was kind of the scapegoat for a lot of what happened just because he was like an outsider coming in. He was traded to Boston and everyone was kind of spectacle about him because everyone loved Isaiah Thomas in Boston. No one wanted to let him go. And when the sky came crashing down in Boston, everyone kind of looked at Kyrie Irving like, hey, save us. And he's never been in a position before where he's had to be the leader and lead everyone who is younger than him to the next level. He's the best of his ability to lead them and to become a contender, but not everything worked out that season. So it kind of just like painted a bad image of Kyrie Irving and the media loves kind of villainizing some of these players that aren't exactly the most normal people because you look at Kyrie Irving and he's spreading sage around and you're just like oh what's this guy doing so he's an easy target for the media and yeah he's learned from Boston is what he said last year when he joined Brooklyn so I want to see if he actually has learned from his experience in Boston and he doesn't exactly need to be the leader in Brooklyn for this whole Brooklyn team to come together and have a good year. He's got his friend KD, who I don't know if you heard about him, but he's a pretty good player. You got DeAndre Jordan. He's another pretty good player. He's a good leader. He's also got a new head coach in uh, Steve Nash, who we'll see what he can do, but he was a pretty good leader on the court as well. So he doesn't need to necessarily be the leader in Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving does not need to be. As far as the sage goes, it doesn't really bother me. I mean, all these people have their pregame routines. I mean, LeBron's been doing his hand chalk thing for years, and no one really talks about that. And that's kind of – you don't see anyone else doing that in the NBA. So, although it's not the same thing, it's still a similar pregame routine. And I just think that Kyrie has been kind of spun a bad image from the media over his past, let's say, 10 years maybe eight years and he's just going to come out this year and he's going to resolve everything. He's going to be fine. And just like Joe said, if he's dropping 25, seven and five, I don't really care what he's doing. As long as he is performing on the hardwood, I'm just happy to have him as a net. Yeah. You know, I definitely think Kyrie Irving is one of the most misunderstood players in the NBA, at least from a media standpoint, uh, going back to Boston, um, you know, it's, it's hard to tell what exactly went down there because obviously none of us were in the locker room. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if um, some of the issues came from him because I know sometimes he would publicly comment on uh, his teammates and stuff like that. But um, I really hope that the Nets can get it figured out because they're, they're, they're going to be such a fun team to watch this year if they can. And um, just moving on to our last topic of the day, I think, as we're running out of time here, but we were talking about the Sixers earlier for potential James Harden trade. They've made, they've already made quite a few changes uh, to both their coaching staff, their front office, and their roster this offseason. And I'm just wondering how far do you guys think they, they can go this season? I, I think that they have some great potential for them, but I want to know what you guys think. Yeah, so 
you think that the Sixers have a lot of potential, but I don't really see it that way. I think that the ceiling for the Sixers this year, if they don't change anything around, if they don't get any James Harden, they don't get anyone else, is a first-round playoff exit. I don't think they can contend with the big dogs in the East. You look at the Nets, the Bucks, the Celtics, the Heat, even the Raptors. They're all a better team right now than the 76ers. They don't really – like, they have a very good defensive team, but they can't really score that well, you know, Ben Simmons is one of those players that he doesn't have a good jump shot. He's just kind of looking to pass the ball, and teams can figure that out pretty quickly and defend that as they need to. They got Doc Rivers, who's a decent coach, but he hasn't done anything notable since 2011-2012, which was when he went to seven games with LeBron when he was in Miami. But since then, he's made the playoffs in the East and not really done anything. He's just kind of been there he's his name is really just like what's been was his name is why he got the job as a 76ers coach he's not really a great coach anymore he did nothing with the Clippers with their with uh Kawhi Leonard and Paul George he did nothing with the Clippers when they had CP3 DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin so his reputation is very good for what he did with his big three in Boston which was a decade ago but having him in his first season as the Sixers coach in a COVID season, I don't think they're going to be very good. They got, like you said, they got Seth Curry and Danny Green, but neither of them I don't think will have a big impact. I mean, Seth Curry's been a lifelong bench player in the NBA. Danny Green isn't the same player that he once was. He couldn't even really work well with LeBron. And if you can't work well with LeBron, what does that really say about you? You can't make threes you just shrink in the playoffs. That's not going to go down well in Philadelphia. So I know I'm probably making a lot of enemies right now as far as the Philadelphia fans. So Liam Ryan, please forgive me for this, but the 76ers are most likely a first round playoff exit. And they're most likely, I think they could get swept if they play a team like the Bucks. I don't see them standing a chance at all against that Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. I just don't see it happening for the Sixers this season. I think the the Sixers are definitely going to take a step up from where they were last year. I think the additions they made were pretty good. Like you said, they went out and got guys like Danny Green and Seth Curry. They had a pretty good draft, I think, actually. They got Isaiah Joe, Tyrese Maxey, Paul Reed. But I don't think it's really enough. I don't think adding Danny Green and Seth Curry is going to take them from being sort of that 4-5 C team to all of a sudden being contenders. It's definitely going to help them out. I mean, they've got shooters now. They've got guys who can take big shots because I mean, last year they definitely struggled with a lack of shooting on that roster. But I really just don't, don't think they're going to be able to do much better than they did last year. I think, like you said, their ceiling's kind of capped the way their roster is now. I think the big thing that was damaging to them was the decision to not re-sign Jimmy Bowe. And they instead gave the max contract slot that they have to Tobias Harris. But if you had Jimmy Butler on that team again, like, what was it, two years ago they had him, that would be a team that would be up at the top of the East because you've got Ben Simmons, who is an all-star level sort of hybrid guard forward. Nobody really knows what kind of position he is. He's pretty positionless. And then you've got Joel Embiid, who's arguably the best center in the NBA. 
And then you've got Jimmy Butler there to handle the ball, be that guy. They need that guy in the playoffs, someone who can just take over a game, take all the shots, be clutch. And we know Jimmy Butler is that guy because he dragged the heat to the finals last year. He was the guy for the Sixers two years ago. And had that Kawhi shot not gone down against the Sixers, I think we would be thinking about them very differently because Jimmy Butler was playing on a absolutely another planet in that series against the Raptors two years ago. And so I think if they had kept Jimmy Butler around and then just surrounded the team with the depth that they have now around guys like Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, it would be a lot different for them. But I think, again, like what Jimmy said again, harking back to it, I mean, they're, they really – they don't have that high of a ceiling. I think they're going to be maybe maybe a three seed if Ben Simmons and has really a huge step up year. Maybe he develops a jumper by some miracle. But I mean, I think they're just going to be another team that's just sort of sitting around the middle of the pack, four or five seed team in the East. And you know, they I feel like they'll need a lot of things to go their way, and they're going to need a lot of guys to get really hot if they want to make a deep playoff run. You know, I think you guys are sleeping on the Sixers a little bit. Um, you know, I think they may not have gotten a, a huge superstar yet like James Harden, but they did a great job of addressing their, their team's needs. Uh, last year they had, after losing J.J. Reddick to the Pelicans, I mean, they just had no floor spacing whatsoever. And uh, because of that, Brett Brown had to play Joel Embiid a lot on the perimeter. And that's just not what Joel Embiid is. He's, he is so dominant inside the paint. And I think the addition of Danny Green and Steph Curry can really open up the floor a little bit for him. Um, and, you know, we talked about how Ben Simmons is a, is a poor shooter, but um, really just getting guys that can space the floor for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons is, I think it's a huge improvement in itself. And um, I'm not a huge fan of Brett Brown's coaching, so um, I think Doc Rivers is, is a huge step up from that. But um, – so I guess we'll have to agree to, to disagree on this one. But that will do it for this episode of X's and Opinions. Thank you so much to Jimmy and Joe for joining me on this episode. Be sure to check out WSOU uh, Sports and our Instagram and Facebook at, at WSOU Sports. And uh, be sure to tune back in for next week's episode. Have a great day.